Hey Pete, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Great episode. Some excellent advice on making tokens and miniatures. Well, not making miniatures, but you know, different things. Um, the other thing, if you really want stand-ups, you can do paper stand-ups and put them in a base. You can get bases set up to do that, or you can make trifolds. It's a lot more work unless you you locate the. I don't know if anybody remembers back in the '80s, TSR and Steve Jackson games. I think both, but definitely TSR had trifolds with three-sided stand-up paper miniatures, like all the Marvel stuff, and they had it for D and D. And you can still do all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a lot of work though, so I think I would recommend doing like Pete's talking about and the you know doing tokens. But I'm lazy, so I'm sure other people have other ideas. But thank you, Pete. Was an excellent overview of the subject. Oh yes, Jason, I remember those trifled uh, minis, paper minis, uh, back in the day. I mean, originally, they started off as. Uh, black line art and you had to fill uh, color in the bits yourself with a felt tip pen later on they went to the full color ones and i've got quite a few of those uh, lying around in different box sets around the house being predominantly a war gamer i think i still prefer minis in my face-to-face games if possible i know it's not always possible but uh minis is, is the way to go um but when i traveled down to my local gaming club then um, it's uh, you got to think about things like carrying them down their storage, uh, that sort of thing. So there's yeah, there's loads of options open to you, and uh, I tend to like a, a mixture of a bit of theatre of the mind and a bit of a tactical uh, tabletop. So um, it's nice to have both types of options open to you as the GM, and uh, lots of good ways you can make minis and yeah. Generic ones are really helpful as well. The good about the cardboard ones is that you can fold them up after use and keep them in sort of wallets or you can put them in containers and sort of squash them flat so they don't get damaged too much. I have found that uh, unless you laminate them, they do get battered a bit, but uh, they're so cheap to make. There's plenty of ways you can uh, cut down the cost of them as well. If you've got one of these uh, HP printers and you've got a monthly deal where you keep getting the ink topped up, I know you're still paying for the ink, but it's cheaper that way. Or what uh, another thing I've been looking into, but I haven't sort of finalised yet, is getting one of these printers with the tanks on it so you can fill up the ink yourself. I believe that's a cheap way of doing it. And there are options like that out there to cut down the costs. So thanks for that call in, Jason. Yo, what up, Pete? It's Joe Richter. Dude, I've been having a blast playing with you in the uh, Black Hat game, man. Armadillo is a hilarious character. The fact that he's always getting names wrong, dude, that's perfect. Anyway, it's been awesome today because I've been digging through your back catalog and I just started listening to your review of Shadow of the Demon Lord right when I got an email saying that Shadow of the Demon Lord was on sale for the PDF. It's only $6.66 here in the States, which is an awesome price for that uh, game. 
Anyway, so yeah, it was a great review. I loved it. I do want to point out one thing, though. You mentioned that they call them ancestries when they're actually a race, and it's it's not a race. Ancestry is a lot closer because there is, I mean, they're actually different species. So anyway, dude, that's it for me. All right, peace out. That was Joe Richter from the Hindsightless and the Wheel of Woe podcast. And what's actually hilarious about that call-in is he talks about my character forgetting things. Well, Joe, the character's name isn't Armadillo. It's Aardvark. So, yeah, your memory is just as bad as my character's memory, so it seems. Uh, with regard to Shadow of the Demon Lord, glad you picked that one up. Six bucks. Well, that's a steal at that price. Grateful uh, mining stuff from it. And thanks for the correction on that with the ancestries. Always appreciate a correction when I balls it up. So speak to you again, Joe, and looking forward to getting some more games in with you at the Black Hack. And for anybody else out there, is it just me or does Joe Richter sound like Ray Manswick from The Doors? Just me then. Hey, Pete, just thought I'd drop a call in. It's John here to say how much I enjoyed listening to your unboxing. And I can't wait to dig into my OSE stuff, hopefully sometime tomorrow. So take care, dude, and I shall catch you soon. That was John Allen Large from the Red Dice Diaries. I'm glad you enjoyed that unboxing, John. I too have watched your unboxing on YouTube and your Red Dice Diaries channel. And yeah, it was great fun seeing you open your birthday presents from your family. Unfortunately, I couldn't get my feet in my audio podcast like you did on your YouTube podcast. Uh, I'm sure that uh, a future episode of The Purple Worm, we might just talk about Old School Essentials. Maybe. I think that's a definite one coming up. And I'm certainly looking forward to getting a, a gaming of uh, Old School Essentials, especially with the advanced fighting fantasy. Advanced fighting fantasy? I've got Old Purple Worm. Especially with the advanced BX rules that uh, Gavin's done. So, yet I will speak to you again soon, John. So, I've been playing a few of the Rules Light OSR-type games. Um, we've had Delving Deeper of an ICRPG and played an ICRPG. The Black Hack, Barbarians of Lemuria. And I know people have sort of asked on various Reddits and forums which is the best Rules Light system. And to be honest, I don't think there's a lot in it. They all do something simple. They have a simple core mechanic and a few simple mechanisms. And I don't think one of them is better than the other. Uh, I think they all give a different flavour. Have I got a preference? I don't think I have. I think I play any of them. I mean, let's take it ICRPG. What does it do? Well, it does turn order, which is a bit board gamey. And what I really love about ICRPG is the target numbers for everything. Nice, simple. And you can put that in your any of your games. You can put that across, simple as. Let's take Lamentations of the Flame Princess. It's core BX with a few simple systems in there. Again, you can pull the bits out. My favourite bit of Lamentations is the encumbrance rules. Dead simple. And in fact, that's the sort of... Um, mechanic you could put into any of your games barbarians of lemuria that's a another simple mechanic 
It's the core of it is rolled two d six. Interestingly, on the in the every when rules, they give some alternatives for changing it up. Instead of using two d six and looking for a score of nine, if you want, use three d six and look for a score of twelve. And all you're doing is changing the target numbers, but by increasing the dice pool, you're sort of getting rid of some of the larger variations. Oh, the larger variations don't come up as much. So, Barbarians of Lemuria, the things I like about that is the careers. A nice, simple way of doing it. The Black Hack, it's a roll in the system, so you're rolling under your attributes. And again, that works fine. Probably the standout features for the Black Hack are the usage dice. That's a clever little mechanic. But again, you can put it in any of the other games. I have put that into other games. And the levelling up, that's a nice, simple way of doing it. Uh, I mean, in for Black Hack, you, you share your experiences and your attributes can go up. But I also like the way ICRPG does it with their loot. So the, your stats more or less stay the same unless you get a bit of loot that adds to it. So these rules like games, they're, they're, quite often they are short on main mechanics, but they have interesting little subsystems which you can latch onto which is what gives it its its uniqueness but for me the rules like systems the great benefit of them is there's none of this referring to the rule book during play i know when i ran my rc icrpg game didn't refer to the rule book once in a three and a half hour session dave is not referring to the rule book in his black hat games and the other thing you can do with the rules like systems instead of looking something up if there is missing you can just make a ruling at the table there and then and go back and look at it at another time most of the time you can use your own logic if something's not in the rules you look at the core mechanic and you look at something for the core mechanic so for the black hack um, somebody wants to know how to do something that's not written down then why not just roll under an attribute and pick one of the six attributes it's nice and simple in ICRPG, you've got the effort dice and you can give hearts to things for, for tasks. So the thing is with those is don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simples, as a certain advert over here would say. And uh, yeah. For those of you on the Audio Dungeon Discord, there's been some talk after Barney's podcast on the Hammer House of Horror that um, we should do a Hammer House of Horror themed series of games. And Barney from Lodo Lucas, his podcast, has made some suggestions. And Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast has been trying to collate some of the ideas. So what we're trying to do is take the some of the Hammer House of Horror films from sort of late 50s through to the early 70s and see if we can run a few games with those with a different GM for a different game. And maybe we will use the same system throughout, or maybe people, the GM will choose a set of rules that fits in with that um, genre. And we're not talking about recreating a film scene by scene, no, none of that, but taking a cheesy horror film from uh, that period uh, and getting the flavour of it and trying to run something 
along those lines. Maybe even play some corny 70s music in the background. And there's a plethora of films out there that the Hammer House covers from your usual Draculas and Vampires, Captain Kronos, the Vampire Hunter, and those games. But there's other companies that were making similar sort of films at the time. So that's I think we're looking at doing that maybe late December, January. Um, my initial thoughts was doing Quatermass. I remember as a kid watching the third film, Quatermass and the Pit, and scaring the living life out of me. I look back at it now with the rubber bumps and everything, and yeah, not so scary when you're older and you've seen some of the uh, films done these days with their gory effects and the jumps. I think the old films, when a lot of the time, they didn't have the capabilities or the money to do the special effects they wanted to. So a lot of the time, it was implied what had happened. And that was always far worse, where you know something had happened just off screen where you couldn't see it, but you knew damn well what would happen. And that, especially when you were younger, that would scare you far, far more than seeing somebody stabbed in the head with a knife, just implied of what had happened to them. Yeah. So if we can try and get some of that in the, in the games, that would be good. There's been several set of rules bandied around as possibilities for that. Uh, anything from the Cthulhu stable, including the light Cthulhu Dark, certainly would work. You've got story games like Ten Candles that could potentially run games like that. Shivering Circle, which I know Spencer's talked about on his podcast, and I believe Jason's also talked about, picked it a set of shivering circle rules yeah that uh, that looks as if it could be a good contender for doing horror as do um other rules of that genre now what you often find with horror rules is they they try and bring some mechanic in to sort of give that feeling of horror whether it be a sanity roll or you're losing points from your attributes but i don't think that often works uh, mechanically what you've got to try and do is give that feeling to the players and not the characters yeah if you've got some good players they can act it out but it's not the same as affecting the players as it is affecting the characters and there's a cracking um, article i was reading recently on how to do it on reddit so this article or series of articles I was reading on, on Reddit was the, the most important thing at the table of the horror game is controlling the pacing and trying to break your scenes down into four categories. And the first one is dread and that is the anticipation of something that is coming. So it might be something as simple as uh, the character comes back from a long day at work and they see a bloody handprint on the front front door. There you have your dread. You know, um, so it's telegraphing to the players that something awful is coming. So dread is the first category. The second category is horror. And that is the realisation that the dread is coming. So that in the first instance is that you walk into the house and you see your pet dog being dismembered. So it builds on the tension from the dread and you're actually seeing the horror itself. 
The next step is terror, and that is the confrontation. And that is when you realise that what has done that evil deed is stood before you or is jumping on your back. It's the terror of, oh no, it is here and I've got to deal with it. And the last part of horror is hope. And it's the release valve. And you always get it in the horror films where the tension builds, the tension builds, there's the horror, then the terror. And then at the end of it, it brings you back down to normality where the thing has been killed or it's run away. And or you find that your loved one isn't dead. It's just a pet dog that's been killed, but your loved one is still alive. And that's the hope. And the secret into doing a good horror game is getting those four scenes and building on them so you go from hope to dread to horror to terror and back to hope again and you run them through this loop and the players will start to get a feel of of the way of the game and they know after the dread the horror is coming so what you do then is you switch it around that's right you go from dread to horror they're expecting the terror and then you give them hope and you miss out the terror altogether and this will screw with their minds. So the uh, person that, that uh, posted this on Reddit, I've not kept, uh, I, I just saved the document as a text document and said that uh, they've experimented with using these four categories for doing their horror games and had really good results with them and had experimented lots of different ways of doing it. And for him or her, this is the best way that, that worked. So that's something that I'm looking at maybe doing in the game that I run. I haven't set out what rules I'm going to use yet or what genre of game or film inspiration I'm going to use. But that is one document that I'm going to use to its fullest. So that's about it for me for this uh, episode. I've got a couple more games of Black Hat coming up. I've certainly got one this coming Friday. Jason is running FGU's Bushido, Fancy Games Unlimited Bushido, with myself and Spencer. So looking forward to getting a bit of historical Japanese RPG in there. And then next week, myself, Dave Aldridge, John Allen Large and Colin are looking at recording some more episodes of The Purple Worm. Really enjoying those podcasts. A uh, great bunch of guys, and we're having a blast doing them. And some of the feedback we've been getting from people, it seems that others are enjoying them as well, which is all hip and dandy. So thanks for all your support. So I'll see you all on the flip side. You have been listening to the Dragons Are Real podcast. My name is Pete Jones. You can find more information at my website at petejones.neocities.org or at my blog at dragonsarealpodcast.tumblr.com The opening music was Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin MacLeod. The closing music, also by Kevin MacLeod, was Fretless 